All right, hi, welcome to A Positive Look. How you doing? This is Tony McIntosh, and uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, this is kind of a unique episode of A Positive Look because I think this is the first time I've actually had my guest in the studio as we record. Everything else has kind of been an offset interview, and then we, we put it together later or on the telephone. But uh, I, I want to introduce you to uh, uh, a gentleman. His name is Carl Atwater. And, and Carl, I've gotten to know him through a local theater in Rome, Georgia, The Rad. He's in a lot of musicals and uh, just got it. It's a great story, and, and and I wanted to share this with you, Carl. Thanks for joining the podcast. This is uh, kind of a, a neat moment for me, and and I hope for you too. Absolutely, uh, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, and, and thanks for the invitation. Uh, I know we initially. When you interviewed me for Driving Miss Daisy, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, we talked about your podcast, and uh, so I'm so glad that you uh, invited me back. Absolutely. Well, the whole premise of a positive look is is talking to people that have overcome some obstacles that might have prevented them uh, from accomplishing their goal. And we've had athletes on the program. Athletes on the program. We've just had uh, you know great stories about people overcoming uh, COVID. 19, uh, uh, overcoming, uh, you know, financial hardships and, and family hardships and, and uh, even addictions mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, but, but this is uh, unique because the, the type of, I guess, business or life that you like is one of an actor. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, when you, people think of acting, it's kind of like, well, it, it's not... It's not always uh, steady work. Uh, and uh, you eat a lot of ramen noodle, noodles and some Vienna sausages Absolutely. and things like that. Absolutely. And, and cold takeout pizza. It's feast or famine. <laughs> or, or it's feast and famine. Or and you've got another job and you do the, do right. the theater and acting on the side. and then all that in my story. Yes, but sir. But it's, it's great. Carl, let's just start from the very beginning. When did you get the acting bug? I was 17 years old. Uh, it all started from a bus accident. I was scheduled. Uh, no, I, I had applied for and was given the job of driving a uh, public school buses. Okay. So I was a 17-year-old high school student, and that was my schedule. That was what I had scheduled to be my part-time job because uh, I was always very independent and always wanted to have my own money. I planned to drive the bus all year long. I'd gone through the training, did everything I needed to do. Beginning of my senior year, I'm driving this bus, have an accident, wow. which was due to my inexperience. I had just started driving, you know, I'd only been driving a year. And I'm driving this, uh, I got 115 kids on my bus. Wow. Uh, and I'm driving a stick. Oh, and wow. I've only been driving a stick for a few months. And uh, so we have an accident. Fortunately, it was just a few people shaking up. No one was seriously hurt. And, but, of course, they had to take me off the bus. Mm. They take me off. You know, they couldn't let me drive. And uh, so now the job that I thought I was going to have, I didn't have. So now my afternoons are free. Well, they had auditions for Godspell. Okay. And my cousin had been in a show the year prior. We're the same age. And, uh, and she played the lead role. And I went, well, what the heck? She was in a show. I could be in a show. So I auditioned, discovered that I could actually sing. Wow. And uh, So prior to this, you, you've never really, you didn't sing in school. You didn't sing in uh, in public at all. Maybe nope. the shower, that was about that it. That was it. I, you know, in, in the car, listen yeah. to the radio. And I could always imitate 
you know, Elton John, The Temptations, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I could imitate everybody on the radio. I thought everybody could do it. I never thought of singing as a talent. I mean, I'd seen people on the t television do it, yeah, right, but I never right. really thought that it was a viable, you know, skill or job or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Discovered that I could sing. We did uh, my the big production number in. Uh, Godspell is uh, We Beseech Thee, and that was my big solo. Right, well. And uh, I, I remember we had a big school assembly, and I remember stepping out, and of course no one knew that I could sing, and singing for my 1,200 students in my high school, and hearing the hush as my mouth opened, and I started singing, and they were like, I could hear, I didn't know Carl could sing. <laughs> yeah, and I'm 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 blowing it. I'm blasting it. I, I had this big bass baritone voice. Yeah. I'm 130 pounds and 17 years old, mm. uh, but I had this, you know, almost Barry White. You know, wow. I I actually am a double bass. How about that? So, yeah, so um, you know, I only made it ten years old on top of old Smokey at a church camp, and that was it. Uh, you know, and when the meatball fell off, that was it. You know, so that's, that was into my career there uh, on a, by, while playing a ukulele. Right, while playing a ukulele. Yes, well, that, that's important. See, that that's talent right there. Only that's four talent. chords, I think. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I, you know, singing for anybody can be a little nerve wracking, and I imagine as a seventeen-year-old. But then again, you you kind of had the attitude of, well, you know, everybody's supposed to be able to do this. Everybody right. does this, and uh, that, and that's great. And uh, I guess I guess that the, the time that um, you you know Barry White was uh, probably was the big soul singer, big on radio and everything at that time too. So it was probably uh, oh yeah, very I familiar mean, to a lot of people. I, I never saw myself in that capacity. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, like I say, I you know imitating these folks on the radio. It was no big deal, so I just thought everybody could do it. Well, see, I can't figure that out because I always thought I could probably do a pretty good job with some of the guys that I'm singing along with them in the radio, but for somehow when people get in front of me, uh -huh. that voice goes away. It just disappears, so I, that's I why I just a, speak. I have a, a motto. <laughs> uh, I, I, have a little, I have a little mantra that I tell yeah. people because when people tell me about getting stage fright and that sort of thing, yeah. that has never been an issue with me, ever, no. ever, ever. I mean, you, you give me a microphone and put me in front of 5,000 people, and I am right at home. Well, there you go. Always have been. I've just ne the only time I have stage fright is if I'm not prepared. Uh, yeah. And therefore, yeah. I always make sure that I am prepared because I enjoy getting up in front of a group of people, be it five people or 5,000. I don't care. Well, that, I mean, that's that's great that you can do that. And, and of course, now uh, right out of high school, you went on to uh, to college. And what were, what were your aspirations then? As well, you went off to school in high school, people because we did Godspell, then I did Oklahoma, then I did a, a, a show called Celebration. Okay. And um, so I was I was told in high school, oh man, you're so talented, you should go to the School of the Arts. Because, you're, wow, you're such a good actor. And I was like, so it went to my head, and I said, okay, well, I guess that's where I should go. So I auditioned for the School of the Arts, the North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. And, you know, the old saying, uh, God blesses babies and fools. Okay, well, I was a little of both. <laughs> I was cocky, didn't prepare my audition sufficiently, uh. procrastinated, went to the audition, blew it. Mm. I mean, just taught looked up at the ceiling and my the, the words to the monologue weren't there forgot it fortunately they asked me to sing old man river and uh after knowing that i had blown this audition i go 
back out to the car, tell my mom I messed up. They're not going to accept me. And she says, okay, well, go get, here's the money. Go get something to eat, and we will, um, and we'll go home. While I'm sitting in that cafeteria, I'm looking at all of these kids. This is July, by the way. Okay. Okay, so um, if I don't get accepted, I'm not going to college. Wow. Okay, this is July after I graduated from high school. Okay. All right. And um, I go back in the auditorium, and the lady who held the audition, um, she, uh, excuse me, in the auditorium, I, in the cafeteria. I'm sitting in the cafeteria eating, just kicking myself because all these kids, and I'm like, oh, man, I could have been a part of this, and I messed it up. And she said, uh, she sees me, and she said, you just auditioned for the uh, drama department. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, if I could arrange an audition for you to major in, to, to do a voice audition, would you consider that? Of course. So I go back out. I get my music. I come back in. She arranged an audition. I got accepted on the spot. I was offered a uh, scholarship on the spot. Nice. And if I don't go back into this cafeteria, my I might not even be sitting here talking to you today. Hmm. My life turned on the dime at that moment when she arranged that audition for me because wow. I'm not going to college if I don't go back in that cafeteria. So word to the wise, listen to your mother, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mama yeah. sent me back in. So How about that? Ended up at the School of the Arts, voice major. I go to Howard University. Uh, my cousin, the one that I did the show before me, right. she went to Howard University. I go visit her, and while I'm visiting her, I said... Hmm, I like this school. Maybe I can audition to go to school here. Set up an audition, got accepted on the spot, got a better scholarship, wow. transferred to Howard University, and then ended up in the theater department at Howard University. And that's where I got my degree from Howard. Uh, in uh, I have a BFA in uh, theater. Nice, nice. Yeah. So. Well, it it. Um of course, after after that, now I understand you are somewhat handy with a hammer and, uh, and a saw <laughs> well, and a yes. drill. Yeah, yeah, my my, uh, my BFA is in design technical theater, yeah, yeah. so building scenery and hanging lights was actually what I got my degree in. Wow, which, yeah. which is good because you could really do a one man show. I mean, you could build the set, <laughs> I could build the set. Uh, write the music, uh, and and perform at the same time and save a lot of money. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I did with drive, that's what I did with Driving Miss Daisy. I, I built the set for Driving Miss Daisy, and I played one of the, one of the three central characters. So I've always had the motto: just be employable. Whatever right you, you have to do, yes. I, yeah, yes. I can do that. I can, I can, I can change out the toilets. I, you know, whatever, whatever right. I need to do. Well, the, fun, the funny thing about that is. Um, once again, I was young, cocky, and you know I wasn't really making good rational decisions. But but God blessed me that they worked out. Right. I became I became a technical theater major because my thinking was, well, I know how to act. I don't need to study acting. That's how I ended up with a degree in design tech. Okay, thank God I became a master carpenter, which I am today. I've been in carpentry over forty years, but that's how I—that's how I was able to then go to New York, right. make my living as a tech, and um, and and then eventually started acting. Yeah. So yeah. Well, you know, you start out with a, an idea of a dream, and then you know things are going well, and then all of a sudden, you hit a roadblock. Now, it hasn't been a bed of roses for you. No, not at all. So, uh, what, what are some of the, what are some things that might have stopped your dream from happening? Well, I, um, I got to New York, got the lead role in a show, toured the country, had a great time. Uh, did like over 130 performances of this show, um, and then that summer, uh, 1987, 
uh, I did some summer stock. Mm-hmm. And um, I was scheduled to do a production of Ain't Misbehaving, which I'm currently performing in here at the Rad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, the first big solo that uh, in this show is a song called Honeysuckle Rose. And it, this in this song, the the character holds this note. When the really good performers do it, they hold this note Long for a crazy time. length of time. So my goal was to do that. Mm-hmm. So in order to prepare to do that, I go jogging. First day of rehearsal. First day of rehearsal, and this is in Potsdam, New York. Okay, okay. so I, I'm, uh, I go jogging to get in shape to do this. And I have sickle cell anemia. Mm. Well, going jogging triggered me having a sickle cell crisis. Oh, wow. So I go from jogging to the hospital. And it was summer stock, which is snap, 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 time, 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 go, go, go. They did not have time to wait for me to heal. Wow. And so for the first time in my life, I was scheduled to be in a show that I was not able to do. Here we are 30 plus years later. Completing this show is absolutely unfinished business for me. Wow. So it is... Um, Nice. Special. special Very special. Very special. You know what? As as an actor, as a performer, uh, you get really caught up in the, I guess, whatever the, uh, not going to say necessarily the the, the character, but you get kind of caught up in the the mood of whatever uh, performance you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. You almost, you transform into that person. Yes. And that that makes, and how difficult is that to separate that from, the everyday Carl to the I'm on stage Carl. Well, for me, it's not a problem, <clears throat> um, and and I I do use some method acting techniques. Um, I, I also, as well as doing stage, I also do film and and television and uh, commercials. <clears throat> Pardon me, but um, I I don't have a problem. I or or maybe I just haven't gone so deep into a character mm-hmm. that um, I lose myself in it. That may be good. That may be bad. You know, um, but uh, I don't have a problem differentiating between. I know this is reality and this is make believe. Mm-hmm. I enjoy what I do because it's make believe. I enjoy pretending. I'm good at it. Okay, I'm blessed, and and I don't take that for granted. But I do understand that. Um, in order to really get into the character, for example, when when we did Driving Miss Daisy. <clears throat> I can just go right back into that character. There are some parts of me in that for sure, but uh, it was, uh, as, as I've told you previously, it, it was a challenge mastering that dialect because, <clears throat> pardon me, I have this, I have a college degree and I could have and should have been an English teacher, possibly. So to suddenly be it's, speaking. It's only going against uh, everything you've learned. Everything. And the, and the, and the Absolutely norms. everything. Yeah. Yeah, so well. it really, it was a challenge to master the dialect, but also then to put my, myself in the mindset of a 60-year-old man in 1948, okay, and, and dealing with the things that they had to deal with in those days. So we were blessed to be able to do the research 
of the the era as well as the characters and really just become you know so I I became Hoke mm. when I was on stage right right but you know but when I left stage I'm I'm, I'm Carl so uh, but but uh, but yeah I, I I enjoy doing that it's one of the reasons that I, I enjoy doing what I do I get to take on a different character and even like I'm doing Eight Misbehaving not a deep character the character that I play is uh, sort of the essence of Fats Waller. Not really being Fats Waller, but just sort of, yeah. you know, Fats Waller was this big, heavyset guy who he wrote so much music and talked about, I mean, poking fun at himself. Your feet's too big. That's yeah. the name of a song, okay? Yeah. Yeah. He had big feet. Fat and greasy. He's talking about this big, big in fact, Fats Waller was almost 300 pounds, and, but he, you know, he wrote these songs poking and in the, and himself. And in the summer heat, it's not too bad. To, exactly. It's not too hard to be greasy. But, you know, but I enjoy yeah. being and doing that sort of thing, and it's music, because, and, and for me, music is just breathing. I've, I didn't realize what a, a tremendous part music was of my life mm-hmm. until, you know, years into it, and I was like, you know, I realize my family. We always were very musical. Um, my, my cousin that I mentioned before, she she has perfect pitch, and she sings beautifully. Wow. And uh, you know, my mom sings, and so lots of people in my in my family sing. And um, so it's just it's just an, an just, innate, a natural of part of me. Absolutely, of absolutely. Life, so. Well, you know, it, it it seems like in the in the time that we're in now, uh, and there's uh, things going on in the world. Um, People reach out to find something to kind of bring them a little joy, a little happiness, uh, and, and to kind of forget what's going on. It's not that it's n- it's not going to be there when you get get back and, and you know when you get back to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. all right, your problem's going to be there. Right. There's a story that uh, that um, uh, I remember being told years ago. It's more of a motivation, you know, how to how to leave your troubles mm-hmm. uh, out of the house, and, and it's a story of a. Um, a man goes home from work, and uh, a neighbor was observing that he would, um, like, make that uh, act as if he's taking a jacket off mm-hmm. and puts it over the shrub. Mm-hmm. And he goes in. He kept doing this day after day after day. Mm-hmm. And finally, uh, a neighbor asked him, what are you doing? Uh-huh. And he goes, man, he says, that's my day's troubles. Oh. And I'll leave them, and I'll pick them up when I go back out. Wow. Never heard that story. I like that. It's it's it, it gets really in depth, but uh, and that's kind of like what the arts, yes, are really meant to be. Very and, much so. and that's why I guess I'm not a, a an expert on musicals mm-hmm. or stage, but I enjoy good what I call organic acting. Right. You know, I guess as a stage actor. Uh, there's no cut line. Right. What do you got here? <laughs> you either know it or you don't. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so. How do you, how do you get away from, you know? Uh, I remember d- doing a few plays where it's almost like it's mechanical. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. just trying to remember my line, and right, I'm going right. to say it like that. Okay. But you get it and make it so natural. Um, how does that work? It, well, I, I would think that possibly each actor has their own process for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for me, it uh, there's part of it that's technical, and then part of it that's just my person i audition for roles that i know i can relate to okay um and uh in some capacity so what i do is uh knowing that i can then interject some aspect of my person or personality into that role 
the technical aspect of it is, in, in, uh, in fact, I was working on it today, the show, uh, the show that I'm working on, uh, learning my lines. First, you just got to get them in your brain and in your mouth, mm. okay, or, or out of your mouth, actually. And so what I do is I listen, I, I record my lines on my phone and um, on my, I've got a voice recorder thing. And I just listen to it and listen to it and listen to it so that I can hear it and hear it and hear it. And once I get the words in my in my brain and then out of my mouth, then I can start adding the inflections, the the meaning, the interpretations and so forth. Now, that's just my process. Right. Different people may do it differently. Uh, and it's the same with the music. Um, with the, uh, for example, this, this new show that I told you I'm doing in the Marietta, uh, Jukebox Giants, uh, we're doing some medley, so I, I'm very familiar with the songs that we're doing, but we're only doing uh, like a piece, and then we'll cut it off, you know, up on the roof, and then save the last dance for me. So, uh, you know, we're not doing the whole song, which I'm right. used to hearing, so I got to make sure to remember, okay, we cut off here, and then we go right into the next song here. So that, you know, once again, just getting it into my brain, getting it out of my mouth, and being, and 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 then adding choreography to it, uh, and I'm, I'm, I, I got three left You got to have the hand claps. Right, and the, right. And the, you know, and the circles with yeah, the hands. Snap, and then snap. Over, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So All of that, uh, too. All of that. Yeah, so, so that's the part, you know, and I'm in the early yeah. stages of rehearsing for that, so I'm yeah. getting that. But, um, but because of my just absolute joy uh, of, of what I do, um, I, I, every day I work on it, I don't see it as work. Yeah. You know, I, I see it as, man, I, I get to do this for a living. Yeah, yeah. I get to play make-believe. I get to get up in front of people. And and you were talking about, you know, that man leaving that thing. And, um, well, we have an expression in theater and in film. It's called a willing suspension of disbelief. People know that when they come to a play that that's not really, it's not really 1948. Okay, and <clears throat> excuse me, and um, you know that's not really a ninety-seven-year-old woman up on that stage, but for the sake of those two hours, people are willing to suspend their disbelief and not go. Well, you know, that's not a real car they're in. That's a park bench. You know, you know <laughs> that kind of thing. So right. um, people are willing to suspend their disbelief. To enjoy and and come into that world for those two hours, and that's one of the reasons that I love movies so much, and I enjoy making movies as well, uh, but but and 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 stage as well because for that hour and a half, two hour, two and a half hour span, you get to just be in that world, and it's the job of the director and the actor and the production c crew and company to create that world so that the audience can enjoy being in that world. And that's one of the things that just I love doing. And, and, and you know, it's, it's funny you, you bring that up because uh, there have been times I've, I've gone to a live performance and I get sucked up right into the time period of the, of the, of the production. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like I don't want to go out. Right. <laughs> that means they did a good job. I, absolutely. They did a good I job. Don't want, I don't want to leave the theater because I, I don't want to go back into, you know, 2015, uh, right, 2021 right. or whatever, um, or even 1999. You know, I want to mm -hmm. stay in that moment because yes, so, I was very comfortable in that. Right, right. You, 
let's flash back a little bit. You you overcame some obstacles early uh, health issues. Yes, sir. That you're you're I guess you're still kind of dealing with, or you still oh, have. Yeah. Oh yeah. How are you able to? If you don't mind sharing just a, a little bit as to. Uh, Sometimes that, well, there's a possibility at one time we weren't going to be sitting here having this conversation. And, I mean, just how scary was that? Extremely. Um, and and also recently. Now, granted, 30 years ago, I had the issue with sickle cell, and that stopped me from doing a show. But my health wasn't really, um, my life wasn't really at risk at that point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, twice in my life, I've, I've almost died that I know about. Okay. Um, the first was when I was I was 17 years old, um, and it was after I had done Godspell. Okay, we had finished Godspell, and I had spinal meningitis. Wow. Fortunately, it was properly diagnosed, and as a result, they treated me properly, and I was in and out of the hospital in 10 days. And uh, I was told that I was extremely fortunate because my fever was up to like 103 point something mm-hmm. you know and they say you know beyond that point people have you know brain dead vegetable and all that stuff right. so that was a possibility but fortunately i survived that walked out of the hospital practically unscathed and um excuse me um and 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 went on to you know enjoy life for years and years and years um 2 years ago Mom, because of my sickle cell, my spleen decided, okay, I quit. Wow. And uh, I was having fever and, I mean, pneumonia. And I had a, a just a perfect storm of five or six different health issues all at the same time. And it took them about two and a half to three months to sort out everything, to diagnose, deal with. But the thing we ended up with was my spleen was infected and so they we eventually got to we're gonna we got to take the spleen out okay uh so i learned a lot of medical terms doing all that you know uh, and uh and realized that okay i can live without my spleen which i'm doing and i am a walking miracle but when this whole when when that entire episode started i thought i was checking out and I, i had a constant fever for months Okay, I mean, just imagine waking up every day and you got like a 100, 101, 102 degree fever every day. You're so weak that I would, I would, my sheets would be soaked every night from just sweating. Mm. I wake up, I go take a shower, and it took all my energy to take a shower. I would then have to go back to bed. Okay, that's just how sick I was. I lost 25% of my body weight in three weeks mm-hmm. i weighed 200 pounds going in the hospital i came out at 146 in three weeks wow okay um and um it was uh i thank god for medical science i thank god for all the people who prayed for me mm-hmm. uh more than more than a couple of churches kept me in prayer mm-hmm. and um i am a walking miracle so wow yeah hey uh, that's uh, uh, that's great that's great to hear that you overcame that but it's uh, so scary it is it was it was it was, it was. yeah many, many a day i sat on the edge of my bed in tears and i said oh. god i don't want to go out like this i got so much to do i, I don't want to end it like this 
And uh, my prayers were answered. That's great. Here I am today. That's great. What was what was the kid Carl like? <laughs> the uh, you know the young. <laughs> Uh, how far back you want to go? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> when did you start getting into mischief? Uh, age uh, uh, one or two? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, uh, what yeah. was it like? What was it like growing up? It's, it sounds like your family, your your mom, and and, and all it, it, very musical. Yeah, it's it sounded like uh, you had a pretty solid home oh absolutely um i was um very blessed to have uh, be part of a very loving family um my my mother and my two aunts um were the parents in my family um and each my mother had two little boys myself and my younger brother one aunt had one little girl, the cousin that I spoke of earlier, and then the other aunt had boy and a girl. So it was three women and five children. That was my nuclear family. And eventually, the, uh, each one of the ladies, uh, well, my, my aunt with the boy and the girl uh, got married. They moved to Louisiana. My mom got married to my stepfather. We moved out. And so, uh, but always a very healthy uh home life um you know we were we weren't like dirt poor but you know we were lower income uh but we didn't lack for anything Mm -hmm. you know we christmases were always wonderful you know the lifesavers every year i just i I just smile anytime i see lifesavers we'd always get a book of lifesavers that was the thing that was always in the stocking know the story yeah Yeah. okay and and, you know and i I had some lifesavers a couple of weeks ago and it just it just makes me smile every time i think about it i remember one year um we all got together and my um uh, my aunt, I have one aunt who was really good at sewing. Mm. She sewed us all these red and white candy striped pajamas with the stocking cap and the every and and so it was like ten people all in red and white striped pajamas. And we got I remember this we got this wonderful <laughs> picture of all of us you know in these pajamas and that candy was just canes. A, yeah candy canes <laughs> you look like candy canes and, you know and it was just a a, a great uh, family moment but. Um, uh, you know, I, when I think back on my childhood and I think back on my hometown of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I am so delighted to have grown up there. Um, it was a wonderful place to live and I'm glad I left. I, I, um, uh, just, I have, I have a, I had a wonderful childhood. I really did. Um, I wasn't extremely mischievous. I, I think I was more mischievous when I got to college than uh, than when I was younger. Well, I was trying to leave the college part. Yeah, out of it. Uh, you know, there are certain yeah. things that we don't really, we don't discuss on the radio. Okay. I don't. I don't remember that happening. I don't remember. Uh, that, yeah, uh, uh, but no. But in, in, uh, in because I grew up, I was born in 1958, and in those days, what the parents say, the children do, and that's it. Yes. And uh, my mom had an expression that uh, if we were even a little out of line, she said, "If you don't shut up, I will mash your mouth." And and I was like, mm-hmm. "One." So one day my mom was driving, and I'm sitting in the back seat, and she said, "I will mash your mouth." And I and I'm like, and I said something else. 
driving, she reached over the back seat and her mother's skills found my mouth. And I was like, how'd she do that? And drive, you know, so. Well, it's amazing. It's amazing uh, that parents, uh, I don't know what happens to their arms, but as, as they become more of a, a professional parent, a yes. seasoned parent. Uh, their reach is much better that uh, they, they can find the back Absolutely. of the seat. Absolutely. I, I think parents actually get in a car uh, where the kids are not in there, uh-huh. and they practice. Yes. And they say, you're okay, you're going right. to sit right here, and you're going to sit right here. How much do I have to reach and <laughs> yes, lean yes. and not have to let go of the steering wheel right, right, in order right. to uh, you know, pop it? Right, right. <laughs> Eddie Murphy has this story that uh, it just cracks me up. He, he has this story that he does, uh, I think it was in his uh, delirious um concert where he talks about his mother uh, throwing the shoe <laughs> around the corner, you know, and the, the shoe boomerangs and comes back. Okay, we can go. <laughs> that is one of the funniest routines I have. Oh. I'm, I watch that thing and I, I, I cry every time I see it. It's oh, still funny. So funny. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, parents, uh, there's something else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, did you did you ever have the opportunity uh, growing up to actually go select and, and pick your very own switch? Often. <laughs> uh, did I and ever. if you didn't get the right one, uh, they went like, hey. and, 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 and uh, you know, and, and it's a psychological torture because it's like, okay, go go pick a go, go pick a switch. So you know, if you pick one that's too big, it's gonna hurt. But you know, if you pick one too small, that you know they're gonna send you back out there. Yeah. And and I I can just imagine that them you know my mom looking out the window watching me. And possibly even giggling. It's like, mm-hmm, yeah, look at look at him. He he fig- he figuring it out. Yeah, but uh, but well, yes. you realize you realize, and I found out this later. You realize why they made us do that. That was one of the cheapest ways to get their hedges trimmed. <laughs> I didn't consider that. <laughs> so, you know, they saved a lot of money. <laughs> Absolutely. And they made a point. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. We absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. I I picked out more than a few and uh, and oh. had it used on me. Yeah. But, but, not, but looking back on it, I remember, Tony, I remember in my mid-20s, I, um, I kind of came to... I guess matured, if you will. Uh, one uh, a funny quote that I always enjoy is uh, Mark Twain. He says, um, you know, when I was a teenager, um, I was amazed at how stupid my father was. And I was just amazed at how much he learned by the time I became 21. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we think as teenagers... Uh, or whatever age that our parents don't know, and it's like they've done all everything you're gonna dream up. They've already done it, and uh, I they remember just haven't told you yet. Yes, just, thank you. Exactly. It's so, a need to know basis, yes, and right exactly. now you don't really you don't need, need to know. To know. Yes, yes. And so by the time I remember in my late twenties, I came to this realization that oh my god, my mom is just she's taken care of me and she's loved me and um and and all the th- you know when when she when I was getting those whoopings. And being disciplined and all that stuff, I hated it at the time. And I and by the time when I got to the, the, that point in my in my late twenties, I remember calling up my mom. I, I don't remember if it was face to face or phone, but I remember saying, "Mama, thank you, thank you for all the whoopings you gave me. I, I now appreciate them, and I now understand." Um, so, um, yeah. So you know when they say, "Well, it's gonna hurt hurt me more than it's gonna hurt you," it's like, "Yeah, right. You ain't getting whooped." Now I understand. Yeah, it, it really, it really did. It, it really, really did. did. It really yeah, did. I hate yeah. having him do that. Yeah. Uh, I, I tell you, it's um, 
it's an interesting time that we're in now, Carl, and uh, a lot of the things that, that happened when we grew up. And we grew up from in two different worlds, but yet we kind of appreciated the the same things that were going on. I mean, we mm-hmm. liked a lot of the same music. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I mean, you're just a, a you're just a year or two seasoned more than I am, mm-hmm. but not much. Okay, okay. Uh, Thank you. We're about the same age. We're about the same age. But it, it's you know we grew up and we saw a lot of the, the same things. We yes, saw sir. a lot of the uh, social yes. uh, strife that was going on in the '60s. Mm-hmm. You know, we were we were young then, but. Um, we were we were feeling it, we, and as we got in onto the seventies, you know, things yes. just kind of lingered. Uh, Absolutely, the Vietnam Absolutely. War was going on. Yeah. Civil rights, uh, big issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of you know rioting. Politics was just Absolutely. crazy. Right. Does it sound a little bit like what's going on today? Sounds like I was about to say. It, sounds like today. You know, what, this, this. what goes what happens? You know, goes around comes around. Yes, sir. And, yes, sir. And, and not to get way off on a political spectrum, but okay. into in like a, a frame of reference, mm-hmm. you know, how did we survive that time period? You know, it's a, it's amazing. I, I hear people just, just in so many different areas talk about you, you look at all the things that are Im, imposed on folks today, like, you know, kids wearing pads and helmets and things to take to ride a bicycle. Yeah. Like. What? If we wore a shirt, that well, was... Thank you. Yeah, you know, <laughs> what? You know, and, and, and not to diminish no. the fact that, you know, you want your kids to be safe and all that, but, you know, just uh, seat belts. You know, now granted, a lot of these things we learned that, you know, some folks were injured and died along the way right. to make us know that seat belts are better. But, uh, you know, it was nothing for us to sit in the back seat and... You know, folks smoking and just all, you know, the, the things that go on today that, you know, we now take for granted, mm-hmm. those, the things that we did in those years, we survived. I don't think it was a miracle, but, you know, it was a totally well, we different world. It. Yeah, we made it. You know, it was a totally different world. And, uh, and I wouldn't trade it. I, I do not envy today's youth. We had the best music. The the country, granted, it wasn't perfect, but it was awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, I I look back on the time that we grew up. I mean, we could go trick-or-treating and not worry about stupid stuff. Right. You know, know, and, and... you could paint a water tower back then. Yeah, you know, nobody would yell at you. Exactly. You know, just, you know they look up there and say, "Who took oh, uh, that Carl? That, <laughs> that at water, exactly. that at water grill? Yeah, oh, yeah, my, yeah, yeah, Macintosh yeah, you know. guy. Oh, yeah, well. man. You know, well, so, I guess I need to call him. Um, I go 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 see him. I'll yeah. pay him a little visit and. Don't there do that go. again. They or, tune him up. Or you're up there and you're scraping the paint off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a different. It's a different time now. Totally and, different. Time. Um, totally different. Time. You know, as as we look back and and like you said, the music and uh, you're. I'm just going to kind of tie this right into something that you're doing now. Uh, the next performance you're in at, at the Strand in Marietta. That yes, sir. It kind of has that, and you're wearing your shirt too, your Motown shirt. Yeah. I like that shirt. Thank you. Uh, music of a of an era that. Uh, I wish we could get back because, you know, the I was over the weekend. I was listening to a song, um, a Curtis Mayfield song. Mm. Um, and uh, was it Curtis Mayfield? Was it uh, Marvin Gaye? No, it's Marvin Gaye. I'm sorry. Okay. Marvin Gaye. Uh, Mercy, Mercy Me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and and 
you listen the to the lyrics. Songs. Yes, you listen to the lyrics of the songs, and you say, you know what, I can relate. This song would fit in today. Yes, absolutely. And that's that that music. It, it can transpose uh, itself into another century. Right. Right. And it's amazing. So it's kind of like it was so relevant. Happening is nothing new today. I mean, we've been through this type of thing before. <clears throat> But it's, it's, I guess it's how you handle it, how you look at it. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Uh, I don't know, being able to, to, to act and really get into that character and get into the music and the meaning of the music. Right. I think a lot, you know, they, you know, um, when they wrote songs back, you know, the Four Tops, you know, Sugar Pie, Honey Bunch, and I, it was like a, a praise for, for your girlfriend, your yes. women, your sweetheart. Yes. You know, and... Uh, you know, your buddies and things like that. And, right. And, I don't know, it's just, it's a lot different today. Very, very much so. I, I totally agree. And uh, one of the reasons that I'm, I'm enjoying this show, and the name of the show is Jukebox Giants Motown and More, and it's playing at the Strand, uh, excuse me, in uh, Marietta, Georgia. Uh, it, I'm, I'm, I'm the old guy. And basically, uh, the, the thing that really blessed me was I, I went to this audition and, they weren't expecting someone of my age to even show up. And so I'm now working with all these children who are young enough to be my grandchildren. <laughs> and and and, you're making me and, old, and right, right. <laughs> and so they so they rewrote they yeah. rewrote the script for me. And it's now me telling a story reflecting back on how I used to go to this club called The Soul in the Wall. And how I used to admire this group called the Jukebox Giants. That's the name of a singing group. And I wanted to be a member of the group. And we were, you know, so then we are doing Stevie Wonder, James Brown, Martha and the Vandellas, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, the Drifters, the Four Tops, the Temptations. Uh, I mean, you know, all these songs that we're doing that just about everybody knows. And um, and it's great to and it's really interesting working with these kids because they have to Google this this music to learn their parts. And I'm just like, I just can't even fathom not knowing this music is such a part of my my life. Mm-hmm. All of it. You know, all these. you know, I remember these songs when they came out. I've got a lot of this in vinyl. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I was and I was uh, the uh, funny thing that happened. Because I I had two auditions. The first audition was the first, was the original one, uh, and I went. And at that audition, the girls were asked to sing uh, "Respect," Aretha Franklin. Uh, and I I had to laugh when one of the girls had to Google it to see what it sounded like. And and the the part that I really laughed at was I then pulled the choreographer to the side. I showed him my resume. I sang backup for Aretha Franklin. At the Kennedy Center Honors, nice. at the first Kennedy Center Honors, the wow. original. Um, so to you know to actually have sung backup for this woman, and these kids don't even know her music, and it's like, ah, what a gap. But you know, but but that music from our era, from the six fifties, sixties, and seventies, that music survives mm. nicely. Yeah. This some of this stuff that comes out today, it's 
Well, if you don't have to edit every other word. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I say I do not envy kids today because the the music that we grew up with. It's kind of dark now. I mean, yeah, it's it is. very depressing. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it. I mean, some of it. Now, that, some of it is Some fantastic. of it is very good. There, yeah. they are some, there are some musicians and some singers that are, you know, writing some really good stuff, but not with with the quantity right. that we had and also the quality. It, you know, it was nothing. It was nothing at one point that where the the Temptations of the Four Tops or Elton John, even in the seventies, would have t- three or four top forty hits. Thank you. You know, yes. Um, two two songs that uh, in my childhood that I remember. I remember uh, Mrs. Robinson. Yes. Simon and Garfunkel. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Because for some reason, I, I see myself at the Callaway Pool in Lagrange, Georgia, and that song is playing over the loudspeaker. Yep. Cuckoo, cuckoo. And, and I also remember "Love Train" by the OJ's. Yes, sir. That was one, and it, it, and I'm thinking back, you know, because I've done I've done oldies radio and four and, and the classic hits and things like that. But it's like, man, I was like growing up with a babysitter <laughs> when that those songs were were on the air. Yes. Uh, hey, here's a new one from, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna. Wow! Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah! It, it's amazing, and and it was, and it, all that music. If you go back and you listen to it now, you find those meanings, those hidden meanings, and and everything, especially Love Train. Yes, uh, that one came up on a on a. Uh, uh, music uh, playlist that I had one mm-hmm. time, and I sat there and I said, I'm just going to listen to the words of this song, and it's like. You know, you never you listen to songs and music differently as you go through your life. Yes, sir. And you say that's that, what they meant. That's yes, right, right. Incredible. Yeah, and that know. that was an incredible song. Yeah, it was. And and I um, it very you know very kind of edgy for its time too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very political. Yes, it was very social and political at the mm-hmm. time, but it yeah. didn't it didn't come across like that initially. Right. But and some of the stuff that seems so. Strong in words in those days now would be considered nothing. Yeah, yeah. you know, but but you know, it, it was a different time. Yeah, it was a different time. We yeah. um, talk about music. I, I remember I graduated from high school in 1976, and for our senior prom, we of course were trying to come up with a theme, and my uh, you know, so we got the black kids and the white kids and. You know, we got all this going on. Uh, and for the most part, my graduating class was very together. Right. We were blessed that somebody came up with the genius idea that our theme for our prom would be Stairway to Heaven. Now, now <laughs> I my, don't my, know why I, I was thinking. But my hmm. now, okay, now, which version which version came to your mind? Uh, Stairway to Heaven was the uh, the, the Led Zeppelin Stairway Thank to you. Heaven. Well, yeah. guess what? Yeah. The OJs had Stairway to, a song called Stairway to Heaven also Is that at right? the same time. How about that? That was why that was such a genius, because it was like, okay. We got familiar with Oh, look at I got to find Stairway it. to Heaven. Stairway to Heaven, one of the best ballads OJs ever made. Same year. So, Led Zeppelin. OJ's Stairway to Heaven. It was meant to it be. It was the perfect combination. Yeah. And you know, if we so and 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 to our stead, my high school graduating class, we are in the midst of uh, organizing our 45th reunion. Wow. Next uh, September. Yeah, we did we did Stairway to Heaven and and uh, I gotta tell you, there's nothing more challenging than making puppy clouds out of cardboard. <laughs> Oh, it was fun talking with Carl, Carl Atwater, uh, artist, uh, the actor, singer.
and a master carpenter and just an all-around great guy. It was, uh, it was fun talking with Carl. And thank you for joining uh, A Positive Look, and we'll see you next time right here. Thank you. And keep positive.